Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you are listening to Schmanners. It's Extraordinary Etiquette. For Ordinary Occasions. Hello, my dove. Hello, dear. I feel great. Oh, good. How are you? I also feel great. I love a morning recording. (laughs) We don't normally get to do them. Justin is out of town when we're recording this. So we're recording this during the window of time we normally do My Brother, My Brother and Me. Oh. And usually Schmanners. Are you going to be bringing me that kind of energy? Yeah, some, interrupting. Some real, real classic goof Talking too much. Well, I don't know about classic, but a lot, and at least 10% of them might land. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but I'm in a great mood. Nice. Our Christmas shopping is basically done, which is very exciting. Well, your Christmas shopping is done. Hey, babe, we're married. Our Christmas shopping. But I still have a few more good things to get for you and the and the animals, the dogs and the cat. Okay, but that includes me, too. But We're I mean, not getting separate presents for the dogs and cats. But I'm getting separate presents for you. Okay, make them good. I'll give you a full critique afterwards, just like I do every year. Well, as you know, my job is always to win Christmas. So That didn't used to be true, by the way. I don't feel until but we then, started dating. But then I won, and I just love that victory. Well, so this is the thing, because we were talking about, we'll get to the episode in a second, folks, but you come <laughs> for the banter. Um, in So growing up, Right. For me, Christmas was a test of like, how well do you know the person? Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we didn't really do lists. I mean, we did the thing when we were kids. Right. Of like going through catalogs and telling our parents. But then as we got older, like into our teenage years and into adulthood, it became like I, I knew that you would love this and you'd never think of getting it for yourself. Right. And that kind of became the thing. And then you and I started dating and your family is much more like this is a very practical thing. Right, that you told me you needed, and I got it for you, and I saw a need, and I filled the need, and it's just like, I know you'll need this, yes. right? And so what's funny is, this year, it feels like you and I have reversed our programming, where I only went through- Only for you. Only for but you. But you're the one I talking only, about winning. I only feel that way about winning with you. I don't, everybody else I can buy from their list, I don't care, but- it's you. I want to win over you. I'm glad that we've been together for 26 years and <laughs> you are still trying to impress me. That means a lot to me. The magic's still there. It's still Romance. There. Yep. Competition. <laughs> uh, I don't know what we're talking about this week. Okay. I, I could just banter with you all day long, my love. Um. So we are going to talk about uh, Rebecca Harkness. The witch from Scarlet Witch? No, that's no. Agatha Harkness. Yeah. Um, so she was, at, first of all. Was? Moment. She's dead? Yes. Oh, man. Um, so her story, very compelling, kind of wacky, and a little heartbreaking. Just like me. Yes. All three of those. And it was suggested by a, a Schmanners fanner. So thank you very much. Um, she's kind of like a Real Housewives cautionary tale, why you absolutely don't want to be an heiress. I'm pretty sure, and I've never watched the show, but I'm pretty sure everyone on Real Housewives of blank is a mm-hmm. cautionary tale. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I've never seen it. <laughs> but my impression of just hearing other people talk about it is there's not a lot of, let's say, heroes on uh, Real Housewives. And I say that once again, don't don't at me, bro. Because I don't know for sure, but that's just been my the marketing take. Yeah, has shown you that. Yeah, 
Um, so a little bit of background. She was born. I would like to make a show oh. called Fake Housewives of Somewhere, oh, where it's what? people who aren't married but to pretend to be married, and it's like who can pretend to be married the best, and it's a reality competition to see who can convince the other players that they're actually married. And half of them are married, half of them aren't. <laughs> Will they win? I don't know. They're I fake housewives. I don't know. Okay. Or maybe they have to pretend like they don't have jobs. <laughs> You really are coming at me with that Mabimbam energy. Like I, well, this is normally when we record my brother, my brother, and me. So I've got it all pent up. <laughs> you got to release it. Okay. Born Rebecca Semple West on October 17th, uh, 1915. Semple West? Semple. Semple. Yes. Semple. Semple. Semple? Do you, it, with an E? I really yes, can't hear Yes, with an E. Okay. <sighs> Second daughter of Alan Tarwater West, who was a St. Louis stockbroker and the founder of G.H. Walker & Co., which is a brokerage firm. Already, um, I can tell you, this family, killing it on middle names. Yes. Semple and, and Tarwater. Let me tell you why I mentioned all of those names. G.H. Walker is George Herbert Walker, the grandfather of George H.W. Bush. Bush and great-grandfather to George W. Bush. So, okay, so Rebecca Harkness is a, an ancestor relation to the Bush family. Yes. Okay. Um, and then, so along with rich people money come rich people problems. Mm, yeah. Um, her parents were completely removed from any like raising of their children. Yeah. Um, which is not which is not uncommon of this time period and of their socioeconomic status. So different from champagne problems. Where a champagne problem is like, I just don't have anywhere to keep all my diamonds. And it's like, oh what a champagne problem. This is more just like, oh, you weren't involved in <laughs> your child. Right. Okay. Um fun fact her longest employed governess was uh probably so employed for so long because before that, she worked at an asylum. Oh, interesting. You know, movies like Mary Poppins and Nanny McPhee mm -hmm. and stuff like that make it look so fun when children try to run off governesses. But its I bet it's not fun in real yeah, life. I don't think it's no. fun. Um, I mean, the exception being, I think, like the like the modern royal family, I feel like the nannies and governesses are there kind of like as extra parents, because mm -hmm. it, it feels, movies and TV and the media tell me that William and Kate are very much involved in raising their children, which I think is nice. Sure. I don't know them. I don't know them. I have, listen, I have formed zero parasocial relationships with the royal family, neither good nor bad. I, can I tell you, until someone mentions them, I forget they exist. <laughs> that's probably for the best. Yeah. But um, to be fair, that's how I feel about most people when I'm not immediately looking at them. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's very telling. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so um, as a child, she liked dancing and ice skating, maybe because she liked it, but also because uh, the pressure started early um, to be fit and trim and a good-looking wife. Uh. Uh, she attended some pretty prestigious schools, um, including the Fermata School for Girls in South Carolina. Um, it's a big deal because lots of Roosevelt's and other, several other high-class famous families who went through there. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like, she had all of the, like, the outside trimmings of a high society lady, but she 
She didn't get the the uh, the good part. <laughs> <laughs> she acted out regularly. Oh, okay. Um, and so she set out to quote do everything bad. <laughs> for Wait, who, quote from who? Her scrapbook. Oh boy. Okay. So typically, after graduation, a, a young girl of her socioeconomic status would go out to be a debutante, right? Sure, or yeah. deb. We've talked about these. Yeah, you would get your uh, debut. And mm-hmm. then you'd be a debutante. Mm-hmm. Uh, she thought of it more as a dog show. Oh. Um, so think Westminster. So this is a, would you say that just from this research and reading about it, it seems more like a rebellious streak than like a, she was a terrible person. I mean, hard to see where that line is. But if it's like debutante stuff is a dog show and ignored by parents and forced to do activities and then sent to a school and it's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna rebel and I'm gonna do everything wrong here. Well, yeah. Okay. Little column A, column A, column B. Yeah. Um, so by nineteen thirty two, she and a group of her friends created a subculture of local debutantes, uh, and they called themselves the Debutnauts. Oh, I like that. Now I need to know. I need Teresa. Sometimes when we do biographies of people that I do not know before we start, mm-hmm. I become a fan of that person. Okay. Is she a bad person? Does she grow up to be a bad person? Because I need to know if I should be rooting for her now or if it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Do not get on her side now because some stuff gets bad. Okay. You've you've told me enough with that sigh, my love. Okay. Uh, so she... In her later years after, I mean, she just kind of like spent a ton of money just to spend money. And she had a reputation of being not nice. And she very selfishly built her her like kind of social status. On- okay. You don't have to tell me okay. more. We'll get okay. to it. Okay. But now I know. Reserve. Reserve. Say, mm, interesting. Ah, I see. A okay. lot more. Okay. okay. All right. Um. So... Uh, for example, these debut knots. Um, it's a good name. It's a good it's name. Good branding too. Uh, she and her friends laced a punch bowl with mineral oil. Do you know what that will do to you? Poops. Yes, the poops. Yeah. It's a laxative. Um, other shenanigans would include um, dancing on tables naked at these balls. Now hold on. I would say that there's a large gall. Even uh, we gave people uh, digestive issues. Okay. Serious. Yes. But I would classify that as, especially in the early 1900s, a shenanigan. Then, somewhere farther down the scale, (laughs) is dancing on tables naked, which I guess is a shenanigan of sorts, but seems, uh, uh, for the time period, a lot more risque than uh, giving people digestive issues. But maybe that's just my own uh, naturally puritanical nature. As you know, I'm a very reserved. Of course. Uh, very humble person. I'm just trying to give you the breadth of of the debutants. Yes. Just from one end of the scale to the sure, other. Sure, sure. Okay. Um, I'm reserving judgment. Uh, she did eventually marry, albeit seven times. What? Um, yeah, I know, right? Well, she's Snow White. Snow White was married to all the dwarves, right? No, she wasn't. No. Nope. She just lived with them in sin? I guess so. Oh, man. It changed that whole uh, movie for me. One of her marriages, uh, I believe the first one was in 1939. She married a photographer because she, quote, had, quote, nothing else to do. 
Oh, boy. That doesn't seem very cool. Um, and later stated, after having two children. Now, it doesn't seem very cool morally, but it does seem like a cool thing to say in that re- rebel kind of way. Oh, why did I marry him? I had nothing on. That's not, that's yeah, pretty cool. I mean, I guess so. That, like she, a cool customer. She's also quoted as saying, I knew I was making a mistake the minute I walked down the aisle and divorced in 1946. A year later, she got married again in 1947. Uh, William Hale Harkness is where, who she married. And that is how her life, like, she was rich and then she became like the upper echelon oh, okay. rich ultra after rich. this. Yeah. Ultra rich. Um, they were, he was that an heir to Standard Oil. Oh, Boise. Okay, yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. Uh, so, like, there's this is the difference between, like, well-off Midwestern money and, like, Rockefeller. Yeah, right, money, right, right, right. Um, they were so rich that they held the wedding at William's apartment at uh, 730 Park Avenue. Oh, on Park Avenue. Yeah. Huge, huge place, right? I assume uh, that's in New York? Yes. Not indeed. a different Park <laughs> Avenue, just somewhere else? No, no. Park Avenue, Manhattan. Okay, where they could see, I'm guessing... The park? Sure. Yeah. They were known for their opulence. Sure. But also their philanthropy. Um, so they, uh, opulence side, right? Over they here. purchased an estate in Watch Hill, Rhode Island, named the Holiday House, oh, which yeah. was a mansion with its own private shoreline. Um, what? Yeah, I know, right? And these, this is where they hosted their, like, Great Gatsby parties. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, for example, she once filled the pool on the property with Dom Perignon. Wow. One, uh, a lot of Dom Perignon, obviously. That's a lot. But two, do people swim in it? Because then instantly it's I, ruined. I guess. Also, it feel you, weird. All the sw- bubbles. You swim in it and you drink it while you swim? Gross. I mean, it's kind of like drinking the bathwater, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Also, you swim and you get sicky. There's a lot of bubbles. Can't be good for you. <laughs> I don't Cannot know. be good for you. That's one of those opulent things where it's just like, yeah, that's opulent, but why? There's uh, way more opulent things you could do. I know, but it's just Practi- a giant waste of money is what it impractical. is. Do you remember we talked about that party on a previous episode where somebody filled the fountain with uh, like champagne with punch, I yeah. think, and then had waiters in little boats yeah. in it, and they would go around and like scoop it up? Yeah. That is, I think, better yeah, than I- just a swimming pool. Where bugs are going to land in that? Like, right? You're going to be attracted. Ugh, I'm just saying. I'm actually grossed out. I'm imagining a um, wonderful life moment where someone gets pushed in because, like, everyone's ogling it, right? Someone gets pushed in, and then everyone jumps in on top of them. And then and, it's gross. And then it's gross, and they all get out, and their servants towel dry them with tiny cocktails. That's going to ruin your clothes. Ugh. <laughs> I have so many problems with this. Okay. Um, didn't last long. He passed away in 1954. They only had one child who was five years old at the time. Did he pass under mysterious circumstances? No, he was ill. He had cancer. Oh, okay. Oh, well. Now I feel bad. Sorry. Um, I mean, I couldn't have known. Which means that she inherited the whole of his fortune, which at the time was $54 million. Wait, what year? 1954, and you don't have to adjust it. Oh. I already know. Oh. That would be $545 million today. Oh, that's a chunk of change. That's some walking around money. Oh, yes. Um, so, for starters, she poured a ton of money into, into a, a pool and <laughs> swam around in it. <laughs> that holiday house on Watch Hill. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, she decided to add eight kitchens 
and 21 bathrooms? Now, hold on. It seems. <laughs> was she still doing the mineral oil thing? I don't know. I don't because know. Because then I get why you, how many guests you have. Okay. Multiply that by two and then give them more mineral oil. Have fun, folks. There's a bathroom for all occasions. Okay. So in 1955. I can't wait to find out what happened in 1955. But first, how about a word from some other Max Fun shows? I'm Jordan Cruciola, the host of Feeling Seen, where we talk about the movie characters that make us feel seen. And I'm the show's producer, Marissa. Jordan, you've interviewed so many directors, actors, writers, film critics, and I like to play this little game where I take a sip of coffee every time someone says, that's such a great question. That's such a fabulous question. Or they tell you how smart you are. I think that you are rather brilliant. And of course, the big one is... When, when they, they cry, cry unexpectedly. unexpectedly. Yes, yes. Jordan, I don't want to cry on your podcast. I wasn't expecting to <laughs> cry. I mean, it makes me kind of want to cry. <sighs> Feeling Seen comes out every Thursday on MaximumFun.org. Listen already. What are you waiting for? Jordan, that's such a great question. <laughs> Hal Loveland here with breaking news on a revolutionary form of entertainment. Professional wrestling. For more, we go to our correspondent, Danielle Radford. Professional wrestling is the craze that's sweeping the nation, featuring fisticuffs and colorful costumes. But who can help us make sense of this world of body slams? Lindsay Kelk has the answer. Sources tell us of an amazing podcast called Tights and Fights, filled with discussions of the absurdity of professional wrestling, plus all the sincerity and hilarity that you could shake a stick at. Listen to the Tights and Fights podcast every week. Find it on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. And your old-timey radio. The year is 1955. And this is where she embarked on her, I was going to go longer with that, but... Career. Okay, assassin. (laughs) No, uh, she considered herself a composer and a dancer. Okay. Uh, she wasn't really very good at either one. Hey, babe. But she was rich. So. I could Im- I could infer that because you started it with she considered herself oh, okay. a composer. And very rarely is it like, oh, yeah, uh, Picasso, he considered himself a painter. Like, people don't normally <laughs> phrase it that way. Well, so since she was rich, she was able to put out albums sure. and put on performances. And her rich friends loved to watch her do it, you know, but nobody really cared. Yeah, because this was before, uh, like, TikTok and YouTube and stuff, where people would be like, this is really bad and I can't stop watching it. She uh, was um, consistent tabloid fodder. Sure. Some of those include she had a pet raccoon. She supposedly catch, kept scotch in her fish tank. She Once allegedly again, was fish kicked off, off of a cruise ship for swimming nude. Were? I don't know. Was it loose scotch or was it, like, <laughs> bottles of scotch? Were there fish in there? Were they drunk? The pet raccoon is the least shocking of that. Uh, here's one. She is accused of dyeing her neighbor's cat green. Okay. In a fit of petty vengeance. Sure. Um, she appeared in in Vogue. Um, she, uh, I mean, the the artist part, right, is is interesting because um, she's rumored to have taken Salvador Dali as a lover for a time. Um, I bet, just knowing what I know about him, that was weird. 
Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah. I mean, do you think that anybody walks away from a relationship with Salvador Dali, known weirdo, and goes, hmm, pretty vanilla? <laughs> I guess not. No. I once saw a performance art video where that man recreated his own birth coming out of a giant egg with lots of fluids. It was, I can guarantee, if you took Salvador Dali as a lover, hold on for the ride of your life. So in 1959, she founded the Rebecca Harkness Foundation to use her fortune to fund the arts. Okay. Uh, her first beneficiary was the Jerome Robbins Company Ballet USA. Okay. Um, that seems like a good thing. Yes. Arts, arts funding. I'm a fan of that. Yes. But the, but the biggest one that she did was when she became a patron of Robert Joffrey. I don't know who that is. Um, okay. I think he was the king in Game of Thrones. Have you have you heard of the Joffrey? The Joffrey Dancers? The school for the Joffrey Dancers? No. No. Okay. Um so it was kind of the the best of times and the worst of times for the Joffrey ballet dancers because okay. she had a lot of money and she was pouring money into this organization, but also um, demanding that her whims be accomplished. Sure. So she wrote, quote, ballets for them. Oh, Boise. Yeah. Uh because of her patronage, she uh, scheduled one of her scores called Dreams of Glory. So she used it as her own, like, artistic, like, Puppet. Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Um, you know, here's the thing. The dancers, they didn't like it. The public wasn't, you know, super enthused about it. But, you know, it, it was kind of like it, she was supporting them. So Sometimes in the arts. You just got to do what you got to do to um, get through those tough times. So there's some good performances. There were some bad performances. There were several that were actually canceled uh, because they were always looking for excuses to cancel them. Well, yeah. Because they as, didn't like doing them. As my older brother Justin once said, the easiest thing to do is nothing. It's, it's nothing. I, I find this is true even now. As an almost 40-year-old, well, almost a 39-year-old, let's not borrow trouble, as an adult, if something gets canceled, even if it's something I was looking forward to, mm -hmm. it suddenly feels like I've, I've just gotten bonus time yeah. on this earth. <laughs> uh, in 1963, they were invited by John F. Kennedy to perform at the White House, um, which Robert Joffrey was not super enthused about because, again... They had to do they her thing? They had to do her thing. Oh, no! Um, and the one-act production ended up costing over $135,000. Uh, you know, because costumes and props sure. and stage lighting and all this kind of stuff. Um, you got travel, you got to put everybody up, and a lot of overhead. Rebecca paid for all of it. And it had a very lukewarm reception. Well, yeah, so in the end, Joffrey paid for it. Yeah. 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 This is um, the problem, man. This is the problem with funding of the arts and people using it like that and like making demands of it is like you're getting that upfront funding, mm -hmm. but in the long term, like you're tanking your like notoriety and audience and stuff like that. It's tough, man. A lot of, hey, if you're looking to fund anything, arts funding, really important right now. Because arts funding is like the first thing to get cut when there's financial problems, right? Because right. any organization, any business that funds arts is like, well, 
And the problem is a lot of uh, arts companies out there are having to make decisions between Mm -hmm. that like upfront, like do we focus on now or on the long-term thing? I'm just saying support the arts. So eventually- But don't make demands of them to do your crappy productions. Right. Eventually, Joffrey cut her off. Yeah. Stopped returning her calls. I mean, but she had basically- bolstered this entire company for years. Um, So then she said, you know, screw you, I'll open my own company. Well, if they were smart, they saved a lot of the money she paid them and (laughs) did an endowment. (laughs) Who knows? So in 1964, she withdrew her funding from the Joffrey Ballet uh, and took a bunch of their dancers with her and opened the Harkness Ballet and a company home called Harkness House. Sure. Sure. Um, so Rebecca's she, place. Rebecca's place. She refurbished a twelve uh, hundred seat theater, um, and you know continued to compose. And I guess I don't. I don't know if she danced in this one or not. There's no way at this point. It's what nineteen sixty something. Yes, sixty eight. And she was born in like nineteen fifteen. Yeah. There's no way she's dancing it. Fifty three. I mean, she. Received a doctorate of fine arts degree from the Franklin Pierce College. I'm not saying she couldn't dance. Okay. I'm saying what I know of, like, the ballet world mm-hmm. is, like, it's very similar to, like, professional sports where I think you would be hard-pressed to find a person dancing at a professional level mm-hmm. over the age of 40. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying that because I think that that is true. I'm saying that because I think that that is the case amongst professional dance companies. Well, I mean, let's be honest. She doesn't doesn't really care if she's any good at that it. That is also an excellent point. <laughs> that is also an excellent point. Um, this divided the art world at the time into two different camps, obviously. But here's the thing. She had a really bad reputation. She no way. She was very hard town. to work with. Um, I couldn't She considered have the studio her own personal dance playground. Yes. Okay. And... You know, anytime she would do a magazine, it was always all about her. It wasn't about, like, any of the performers or whatever. And she did dance. She cast herself in her ballet, uh, (laughs) Macumba, I believe it's pronounced, in 1965. And, I mean, that's not great for your dancers, right? No. She married again. She was becoming increasingly reliant on... On drugs at the time. Well, that's um, the other problem, right? When you're dancing at that age, there's a lot of injury and soreness. And I mean, I'm 39 now. I hurt myself standing up from playing with the kids on the floor. Yeah. Uh, and so she didn't, she she left that company too. She was the like, one she started? Whatever. She started a new one called Re- Harkness Dance Company 2. Uh, the Harkness Youth Dancers. Did she dance with them, too? It was a school for younger students. um, And she spent, of course, an obscene amount of money on the school. Um, If you remove, like, the selfish, self-serving part of this, she's doing a lot for the arts. Awesome. Sure. And it seemed that this one is the one that most pays off for her, especially. By 1970, um, she was so involved with the Harkness Youth Dancers that she actually didn't attend the main company's New York premiere, right? So she was really involved with these young kids. But she was she was pretty petty. 
Um, Get out of town. <laughs> that year. The same one who dyed her neighbor's dog green? Mm-hmm. Patty, you say? Patty. Okay. The main company, the Harkness Ballet, was supposed to perform at Monte Carlo. And she dyed them um, all green. Well, she she canceled it. Just, just, just canceled it? Because? Just because. Just because. Oh, boy. She didn't really didn't really want to. Um, and then Did she, everybody still get paid? No. Oh, then nope. boo. Nobody got paid. She fired all the dancers, replaced them with children. Boo? Yeah, boo. Yeah, so she usurped her own company to prove a point. Is is basically what she did. Okay. And when you're super rich, you get to do that and be a jerk. So her final years were plagued with family problems, duh, and health woes. Oh, people yeah. at home didn't get along with her either? Weird. Yeah. Um, there were some difficulties with, I mean, her her daughter, Annabelle, um, has a long, fascinating history that's a lot like her mom's. Um, a story of, you know, trying to be an artist, failed relationships, people exploiting her for inheritance. Yep, yep, um, yep. Uh, her son, Alan, uh, shot and killed a man in a brawl and was charged oh with second-degree murder, which, because he's rich, would be uh, dropped to manslaughter. Uh, but he did actually go to prison for eight years. Cool. Um, and then she died on June 17th, 1982, in Manhattan at 67. Her will clearly stated that she wanted to be cremated and placed in a $250,000 gold urn. Lordy Lou. Uh, designed by her friend, Salvador Dali. Uh-huh. And? Well, so the urn that he made wasn't quite large enough. Oh, boy. Which is kind of weird. Uh, the, the ashes that could fit in there were, were placed in, to rest in the Harkness family mausoleum. Uh, at Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx. The rest of her ashes were placed in a Gristides bag, What's which a- is a supermarket, a high-end supermarket. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Is there a metaphor sadder than that? Oh, boy. I mean... They couldn't have scattered them on the ocean or something? I guess not. Okay. <laughs> she wished to be an artist, and they put her ashes in a grocery bag. I mean, it does make a statement. Yeah. Like all great art, it doesn't make a statement. Um, but here is the reason, not the reason, but one of the reasons that she has not faded into antiquity. Yeah. Is because of Taylor Swift. Did Taylor Swift go to that dance company? No. Oh. Taylor Swift wrote a song on her album Folklore uh, called The Last Great American Dynasty, dedicated to Harkness's wild legacy. Weird. Okay. Weird. Yeah. Uh, The song is more about how um, Rebecca was an ostracized woman determined to live her life to the fullest. Okay. I don't know about all that. That seems like a romanticized version of it. It is. Definitely. And it's a great song. Um, But Taylor Swift also bought the Holiday House, the one... That had so all, she has like a thing. Yeah, for she has a okay. thing in 2013. Okay. Interesting. So I mean, Rebecca was clearly a woman who wanted to leave an impact. Sure. Um, some of that impact was probably great for the arts. She also founded countless medical research projects. Um, there is a uh, a medical research building 
in her honor that she gave a ton of money to. That's good. Um, I mean, so like, it's good to spread the wealth around, right? The Joffrey Ballet as yeah. well also probably still benefits from the the capital well, that she generated. Exists, then yeah, yes, um, it's still operating today. So like, I'll tell you what the, what it sounds like the problem to me, and this seems like a problem. Uh, still happening today, but okay. especially during like the when we're talking about like heiresses and robber barons and oil magnets and stuff like that, a lot of focus on legacy, right? Funding right. things, giving money to things, to name things. Not a lot of focus on just like day to day kindness, right? More about like I will be remembered because my name is on all this stuff, mm-hmm. and not like I will be remembered by this person that I was nice to. So, did society do her dirty? Do you think that you would side on the side of Taylor Swift saying that she was kind of like, uh, you know, a, hurt, a hurting woman who was misconstrued and just wanted to, I don't know, live her art dreams? Or do you think that maybe she used her uh, wealth poorly and treated people poorly? Well, I don't know about using her wealth Poorly. Uh, I mean, pouring a bunch of champagne into a swimming pool. Mm-hmm. Boo! It's but it, using an art company as your personal. So this is the problem, tree. right? Is I think that it sounds like she did a lot of arts funding, and like you talk about like medical research and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Cool, but I don't know how altruistic, especially the arts funding, doesn't sound like her heart was in the right place with it. Other stuff you can say like. Well, this got branded and we only focused on the negative stuff and, you know, she was rebellious and didn't want to do, like, the debutante thing. Okay, cool. But the stuff with, like, using the company as her own playground and stuff. And not paying dancers and leaving companies and leaving, yeah. That that seems pretty cut and dry to me. So, I don't know. Complicated. Uh, I'll leave it at that. I, I have no... Strong feelings. I will form no parasocial <laughs> relationships with with uh, Rebecca Harkness. If I if I would if I was going to extrapolate, I feel almost like maybe Taylor Swift identifies with Rebecca in a way. Not saying that Taylor Swift doesn't have any talent. I do believe that she does have talent, um, but maybe she feels like Rebecca was, you know, just a a woman trying to do, live her dreams, right? Sure. And Taylor Swift is like, that's me. That's me. I'm the problem. It's me. (laughs) All right, everybody. That's going to do it for us. A couple of announcements. Uh, If you're listening to this on the 16th, then Candle Nights is tomorrow. That's when the show goes up. That's December 17th at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But even if you're listening to this later... Uh, the video on demand is available through January 2nd. Uh, tickets are on sale now at bit.ly slash Candle Nights 2022, Candle Nights 2022. Uh, don't forget to pre-order the Adventure Zone 11th Hour graphic novel. Uh, you'll get the pre-order perks with those. Uh, the book comes out February 21st. You can go to theadventurezonecomic.com uh, and then submit your receipt at bit.ly slash 11th, the word spelled out, 11th hour pre-order, and you'll get a lenticular sticker featuring art from the book. Go check out all the merch at macroymerch.com. Uh, 10% of all merch proceeds this month go to Harmony House. And uh, we still have some tickets 
for the 20 Rendezvous Fantasy Takes Flight for the shows we reschedule for April 27th in San Jose. We're doing Adventure Zone with Abriya Ingar on April 28th in San Jose. We're doing My Brother, My Brother and Me. April 29th, we're doing My Brother, My Brother and Me in Denver. All existing tickets for those shows will be honored, uh, and you can still get those at bit.ly slash Tours. Mask and proof of full vaccination or negative COVID test within 72 hours of event start is required. What else, Teresa? We always thank Brent, Brental Floss Black, for writing our theme music, which is available as a ringtone where those are found. Thank you to Bruja Betty Pinna Photography for the cover picture of our fan-run Facebook group, Schmanners Fanners. If you love to give and get excellent advice from other fans, go ahead and join that group today. Thank I forgot you. to say thank you to our editor, Rachel, uh, without whom we could not make the show. Thank you to our researcher and writer, Alex, without whom we could not make the show. And thank you for listening. We could make the show without you, but why? Uh, we couldn't make this part without you. We would love your suggestions, especially if you have suggestions. We would love your help um, with topic suggestions for Black History Month and Pride Month and anything else. If there's other months or dates or stuff that you're like, this is an important date and they've never talked about this before, then please let us know. Absolutely. And you can send all of those suggestions to our Gmail, which is schmannerscast at gmail.com and say hi to Alex because she reads everyone. And that's going to do it for us, so join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners, manners. Get it. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.